This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Pemberton. He is the chief people officer of Work Human and the best-selling author of two books, including the new book, The Lighthouse Effect. On today's show, Steve and I talk about it all, his journey from poverty to leading top-notch human resources departments. We also talk about what it means to recognize and reward people in this crazy talent market. And finally, he gives us just a little taste of what it was like to work at Walgreens when they were doing deals with Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos. This conversation was recorded live at Work Human Live, which is the flagship conference that talks about rewarding and recognizing and inherently seeing the humanness in your people. So if you're interested in a fun conversation with a terrific guy who happens to be a dear friend of mine, well, sit back and enjoy this chat with Steve Pemberton. Hey, Steve, how's it going? It's going well. I'm at work human live and I'm talking with you. Oh, so good to see you in the flesh. Yes, yes. I mean, a treat a couple times this year. I know. Is COVID over or what? You know, we may want to be done with COVID, but COVID <laughs> appears not to want to be done with us I in feel terms that. of these new variants, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's scary yeah. times. But yeah. we're here, we're being safe, we and we're going to talk about your second book, your new book. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Work Human, Work Human Live, all the good stuff. But why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? So my name's Steve Pemberton, and I am the Chief Human Resources Officer for Work Human. Arrived at the company at the end of 2017 after a senior HR roles at Walgreens and Monster.com. Yeah, some pretty big jobs, some good brands. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So you're at Work Human, and you know, it's funny because at Work Human, there's quite a few ex Monster employees. 12 to be exact. Wow, wow. Yes. What is it about the two cultures that are similar? I've thought about that, and it is the sense of mission. Tell me more. When you wake up at Work Human, you know that something thing you're doing is bettering somebody's life. 7 million users on a platform, fostering and creating interactions that is uplifting. So it's the opposite of the tone and the dissonance that you see on social media platforms. Yeah. So all we're doing is celebrating, recognizing, thanking. And that same spirit was true at Monster, where you, what did you do? You woke up every day and you help people find a better job. So it's a sense of mission. And so as a result, you attract a certain kind of human to your company because of that sense of mission. And so it would make sense that people who were at Monster and then left Monster still have that sense of social mission and work human is a place for them to realize it. For sure. I think about your journey from Monster, those early days, to work human, you've seen the development of social media, social recognition, and actually anti-recognition on some of these social platforms, right? So what were the early days of the internet like? Like, what do you remember about that? Because Monster was so early to really having a presence, to being on the internet, to getting people to come on and look for work. Well, 
the biggest challenges were really how people were going to process and share information. I want my resume out there in the world like that. Who sees it? Who can yeah. comb through it? Boy, we tattoo our social security numbers on our foreheads at this Absolutely point. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then the meeting ground that is social media and community, but in a different sense. So those early internet models, it was really a marketplace. So eBay buyers and sellers. Well, Monster was those looking to hire and those who needed a job. So I saw so many different models of HR. Yeah, During my time at Monster, I saw what to do, saw what not to do. And I think you intuit just so much of that over those years. But what I also saw, Laurie, was a really, really good example of how leadership really means so much because of what happened to Monster. New leaders came in, very different agenda, very different sense of mission. And for me at that time, I thought, you know, this whole thing around leadership is overstated. (laughs) Bit of a cynic back then. I was, because I made the mistake of thinking that as you ascend in your career, you know what it means to lead. Yeah. Nobody has to really explain that to you. And what I have found is the inverse of that because, oh, I must be as good as the title says I am. So what do I have to know? What do I have to learn? What I I found, and I try to incorporate in the way that I lead my team, is always asking, so what don't I know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And as a leader, and particularly, I will confess to having a strong will, Mm -hmm. which was necessary for me. And so I've learned as a leader that you're the one responsible for creating the environment. People can give you candid open, honest feedback. And you want that so that you can make the most informed decision because there's a natural deference to the hierarchy. Absolutely. So Lori's a CEO. She must be right. And you can keep saying to people, well, you can be open and you can share. And I think it's more the leader who has to say, I need you to disagree with me. So the other question is I will often ask, what am I not seeing? Oh, I love that question because it tells people you've got blind spots. It gives them permission to say, okay, here it is. Let me share it with you. And there's no ill-fated consequence for me. I'm not going to get in trouble for telling you. Exactly. Yeah. And when you look at faux pas and there's these collapses of industries of maybe an investment in a specific product, marketing plan, something, right? And then you do the postmortem. Yeah. And you know what you find? Somebody knew. Oh, they always know. Yeah. yeah. Enron, everybody knew at Enron, right? You yes, know? Yeah, yes. absolutely. And they knew of the Challenger disaster. They knew that those O-rings would freeze they at did. a certain temperature. However, those opinions were so deep down within the organization. There wasn't an environment where you could share candid, yeah. open, honest feedback, which always surprises me. But what they learned from the Challenger explosion and so many other disasters is that the pre-mortem, the asking the question of what don't I know? What are we missing? How am I going to fail? Is the thing that prevents failure and gives you a competitive advantage. So I love that. We are so aligned on that. Okay, so you have this crazy ending to your career at Monster, right? Mm. You know, with a new leadership team and you're off to Walgreens. Right. And Walgreens goes through dramatic transformation. What was that like to lead in HR in that environment? Well, Walgreens, 90% brand recognition, street corners all across America. Heck yeah. Had never had a layoff in its history. Some of it's the nature of retail. And as we go through this phase in this process of dealing with the disruptive nature of e-commerce and margin erosion because we can buy things online and they come to the house and so I don't have to get out as much. So that affected all retailers and absolutely affected. One of our responses to that was to broaden our footprint globally. So Walgreens acquired Boots Alliance, which is in essence, Boots Alliance was the Walgreens of Europe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody who's been to London knows Boots. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And so to go from a 
125,000 person company operating in one country Mm -hmm. to over 250,000 operating in over 100 countries when you look at just the entire footprint of businesses. It was such a major transformation and there was uh, shifts and changes in leadership too. Were you there during the Theranos time as well? Well, that's nutty. Oh, it was beyond that. And it's all still instructive about following one's instincts. Yeah. And I remember the early discussions about that. And I still remember talking to, remember what Richard's exact title was at the time, all the buzz, you Mm -hmm. know, top hundred leaders in the room and talking about Theranos and and just everybody's really excited. And so I remember talking and the contingent was going out to the West Coast to visit, comes back and said, "Uh, Richard, how was the meeting? And I can still remember his reaction. He was like, "Eh, you know, it was okay. But then he said this very telling comment. He goes, I have some questions. Dude, I wish he would have followed up on those questions because the journey instead is to get hyper competitive and get caught up in ego with CVS and Safeway. And it was almost like this race to just get in get in on this thing that turned out to be a lie. Yes. You know that what also was happening at Walgreens at the time, and still is the case now, but especially then, Walgreens' success was attributed to what was called the four-way test that drove all business decisions. And what is that? Is it fair? Will it advance the goodwill? Is it beneficial to all? And those were guide decisions. Should we do it? Because that would not be fair. Will it advance the greater good? And you always step through those kinds of things. But clearly there should have been, in addition to those four, there probably should have been another about making sure that you follow the path of due diligence generally in any yeah. leadership Is it a fraud? I think is a great question. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. And here's what I mean by that is that we were always asking that but I realized that in partnerships you want to be partnered with those who have their version of the four-way test. Oh, absolutely. Well, is it fair? Is it beneficial to all? Because it will advance one of those questions and it's clear now that there was none of that. No, not at all. None. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So you take all of this life experience and you come to work human, an organization that's really transforming recognition, saying thank you, recognizing the human at work. When you came here, the company was Globoforce, if I'm yes, not mistaken. Correct. So you led them, you led your organization through a brand transformation, renaming COVID. You wrote a yeah. book while you were here. Mm-hmm. You've written two books, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. while being here. So what's your career journey been like here? Well, <laughs> following that same path of like social mission. So for me, we're Worked in higher education, then in helping people find jobs, then in healthcare at Walgreens, and so there was a path. Of yeah, wanting I see to be it. In roles that you know had some kind of social impact. Yeah. Right? and at the same time, I was at Walgreens. I was finishing up my first book, which was my coming of age journey. Mm-hmm. I wrote about growing up in foster care, very turbulent, very difficult yes. childhood experience, get out of it, get to college, graduate, and then go looking for my biological family and I find them. And so that was a story I was trying to tell. And I thought, and I still remember that book arriving in the mail and I remember thinking, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. I've done that. Yeah. Right. Great. I've done that. So I thought it was the end of it. No. It was the start of it. Yeah. And so I think it's true for any of us. You share a journey and what you don't realize is really an invitation for people to share their journeys with you. Absolutely. And so that to me became and still is a daily exercise in recognition because people write to me from all over the world mm-hmm. and they do so every day. Amazing. I'm not exaggerating. No, every day I have somebody who read the book, saw the film adaptation mm-hmm. of the book, read the Young Reader's version. And so it just got me to thinking 
about what would that look like if I were going to write another book. And it took a long time for me to kind of process it. So what I decided to do with the Lighthouse Effect was share the stories of these 10 people that I met along my life journey. Yeah. Different stages, young boy, younger man. In sense, it made me pause and stop and reflect and think. And I thought that their lessons were not just instructive for me, but instructive for all of us. Well, you know, when you write a book, whether it's a book about yourself, about your journey, about other people, I have found that in writing the book, I learn so much, so much about myself, so much about mm. the world. What did you learn about yourself while writing The Lighthouse Effect? It put me in very specific places with these 10 people. Mm. So as I'm writing their stories. I'm literally with Rick Rock when he's 16 years old, when his father passes away from a sudden heart attack on Father's Day. Wow. And he doesn't know what to do. And it spurs him to a life in medicine, goes to medical school because of it. And he says, I never want to be in a situation where I don't know what to do because he didn't know what to do. I'm in the South Tower with Wells Crowther when a plane strikes and he finds his way to safety and then stops and goes back up to try to save as many people as he can and perishes in the process. Wow. You're kind of with him thinking what he was thinking because yeah. that's, as a writer, you have to dive into somebody's life like that. I'm on the Vietnam battlefields with F.L. Kirby. I'm with Carmen Ortiz McGee as she meets her father for the first mm -hmm. time. I'm with my benefactor, John Sykes, who took me in when I was 16 years old. I had nowhere to go. Took mm -hmm. me in just three days after Christmas. And who is battling the beast of addiction that is alcoholism yeah. at the very time that he is. You're in that battle right. with him. And it's such an honor to be yeah. with those nine people and their willingness to share their life with all of us and not necessarily the beauty aesthetics. This is not the right. This is real world media. stuff. Yeah. Tough yeah. Stuff. That that Lori, everybody navigates. There's this theme throughout your career of shining a light, things that may be a little dark, maybe even be might be a little shameful and recognizing these are totally human experiences. You did it in your first book, telling your own story. You've done it in this book. Mm your new book. And I just wonder if that's some of the work that also Work Human does. I mean, work can be tough, can be hard. Mm -hmm. We're there to solve complex problems. And we're trying to recognize the human in that, right? Yes. Here at this organization. Yeah. So I see this theme. You must see it. I'm not a therapist. Oh, yeah. No, no. I yeah. mean, in fact, I would take it a step further and say that I probably would not be at Work Human had I not written that book. The oh, first interesting. One. Yeah. And certainly the lighthouse effect was inspired by the ways in which we power the platforms of people recognizing each other mm -hmm. for what seems to be the seemingly small things. Yeah. You realize nothing really small about any of those things. No. They really do have an impact, a note of gratitude saying, thank you for responding to that with such urgency. Thanks for that spirit of teamwork. Thanks for being inclusive. And those are the things that bind and bound humanity. And we've learned that from the pandemic, yeah. that when those things are taken from us, it forces us into places of isolation. We do feel disconnected. And so you're trying to... And Laurie, I also think that when so many of the epicenters of humanity are no longer available to us, where do you find healing? Do you find it in our politics? I would argue no. No, don't. heck no, yeah. Uh, do you find it in academia? Do you find it in the church? 
I would argue that even faith seems to have been politicized. Yeah. Everything's politicized. That's right. So where do you find humanity? It's in the workplace and by working human. So it's not about the title. It's not about the role. I just had a session here at Work Human Live, and it was interactive and so top of mind to me. Two things that happened in that session. I was going around getting feedback from the room. Sure. Yeah. And uh, Mike says, I realized I would ask people in their work, how are they doing? He's okay. I was asking them yeah. how they're doing. But I was referring to how their work was doing. I wasn't asking them, how oh, are you doing? Oh, yeah. And that was his takeaway. So that's what we do at Work Human. So how are you doing? I think recognition powers everything. And if you look at the HR ecosystem, recruiting, retention, promotion, isn't recognition at the core of all of it? Isn't fundamentally? Absolutely. And as we move towards this life first way of living instead mm. of a work first way of living, mm. work has got to fit into life. Work has got to make life better. And work can actually be the place where we go to learn how to live a little better. I mean, I think like so many yeah. institutions have failed us. Yes. Work is that last institution that can actually help us, instruct us, teach us. And then we can take that good stuff back into our personal lives. Mm. That's my goal. That's what powers me. I know that's what powers you. Well, you can't be successful in any line of work without that. You don't have the luxury of yeah. descending into dissonance and polarization. No. And it's not my job. You don't have that luxury. No. You may feel you have that luxury in other parts of society, <laughs> right. but you don't or you won't be on the salary continuation program much longer. 100%, right? 100%. So you can bring your own political views about something. You can bring those are things that you manage and you navigate through in the course of yeah. getting a team together and executing a job. I think what you can immediately touch. Mm -hmm. So I can't solve debates and discussions around vaccination, but I can create an environment of trust and support and recognition yeah. of my colleagues because it's peer driven. For sure and it softens the political differences anyway. They kind of fade away, at least in the moment. And that's good enough for me from time to time. Mm. Like if I can have five minutes where I'm not thinking about masks, I'm going to treasure yes, those five yes, minutes, yes, you yeah. know? Oh, so yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. Well, I have one yeah. final question for you as we wrap up the conversation. You know, you've written two great books. You've mm -hmm. got a film adaptation of your first book. You've got this amazing career here at Work Human. But what's next? Uh -huh. Like, where are you going? What are you going to do? Like a I vacation? Was, how about uh, that? No, you know, it's my wife's battle with me is that I don't ever slow down. Mm, I don't know how. Gotta I'm take just your not, PTO. Yeah, I'm yeah. just not. I'm not built for it. I've just accepted that. Yeah. But I was at a conference some time ago, and someone reading about my life career journey asked me, you know, would you change anything? And I thought, no, because I like how it's all turned out. Yeah. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. But I was almost like reflecting aloud, and I said, being an '80s kid and a huge fan of Back to the Future, I said, you know. There's times that the man that I am wishes I could go back and talk to the boy that I was mm. to let him know that he's going to be just fine, no matter how dark the day gets. And there were a lot of very dark days that not only will he be fine, but he wouldn't want to change any step of it. So that's what I was thinking aloud. And I said, but I would still want to go back, but not to save me. It would be to see whether or not I could alter the path and the trajectory of my parents' lives knowing what was going to unfold for them without telling them who I am. Because now you're into deep stuff, right, Lori? Now I was just thinking it. about the butterfly effect. You yes. know, you want to make sure you don't right. like disrupt right. your own life. But right. yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. So that's in an ideal well, world, that's what's next. So that's what's next. Working on the time machine, time, space, consortium. Yeah, 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 yeah. Space, time, continuum is the that's word I'm right. looking for. That's right. Yeah. that's right, that's right, that's right. Well, Steve, it's yeah. always a pleasure to catch up and remind yeah. everybody where can they go to learn more about Work Human? 
again and more about your books. So you can learn a ton more about WorkHuman at WorkHuman.com if you've not been to WorkHuman Live, which is oh. where, where we are. It is life-changing. And then me, any anything that's social media, you, know, you can find me on LinkedIn, stevepemberton.io, because I have a site that allows me just to respond sure, to people yeah. who are interested in uh, my own career journey. So We'll uh, put it all in the show notes. And it was so good to see you again. I know, and the same. I know. It's really yeah. fun. Thanks again for being a guest. Anytime and every time. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. Punk Rock HR.